Exodus chapter 25. We've been here for the last two weeks. And uh, as we're kicking off our theme about three weeks ago on in being engaged where every part make us increase. And uh, we've been taking this first quarter and focusing on being engaged in our giving. And a lot of times that word giving scares people. I'll be honest with you, when a preacher has to preach and the Lord leads you to preach on giving, it always makes you kind of have a knot in your throat because you figure everybody's going to turn the radio off when they hear that word giving. But I want you to understand that giving is so much more than financially. Matter of fact, financial giving is just a small wedge of what God calls us to give that every part could come together to make increase in his church. And so this afternoon we'll have our stewardship banquet and we will discuss some of our finances and, and how the opportunities that God's provided us for will come to fruition or come visible as we preached last week through our giving of our resources and of our time and of our talents. Well, today we're going to kind of go all the way back to the beginning and see exactly where all of this begins in Exodus 25. If you're there, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read verse 1, 2, and 3, and then I'll pray and let you be seated. Exodus chapter 25 Verse 1, 2, and 3, we've read this several times over the past few weeks, and Exodus 25 is where God is giving Moses a command to build a tabernacle. He wants to have a place where he can come and dwell amongst his people, and his people can hear from him. And he tells Moses what he wants them to bring in order to build the tabernacle. Let's pick up in verse number 1. We've read it many times. Let's read it again. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart ye shall take my offering look at verse 3 and this is the offering which ye shall take of them gold and silver and brass now mainly want to key in on the first part of verse number 3 where God says and this is the offering which ye shall take of them let's stop there let's pray let's ask God to give us what we need and let's be willing to receive it this morning father thank you for your word and father I'm thankful that you desire us Lord uh, and you give us the opportunity to participate in ministry thank you for the opportunity to serve here at Central thank you for all that you've done already in this new year and father we're looking for forward to what you desire to do throughout the rest of the year. Help us be willing uh, and surrendered and submissive, Father, to whatever you desire to do through us. I pray our hearts would be soft today to receive the word of God, and I pray we'd respond to the invitation in a way that's pleasing. Or if there's one loss, I pray your Holy Spirit would let them know, and they come to know you today before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's kind of hard to believe that it's already February. And the first month is already out of the way. We're almost, we're coming up on 10% of the year. It's already gone. And I hope that you have redeemed the time of January and made January count for the cause of Christ. I sat back the other day and was doing some figuring of how God's blessed our church and things we've seen God do in the new year. Uh, and I think we're well over a dozen people have already come to know and trust Christ right here directly in the ministries of our church. And I've gotten reports of many more who've come to know Christ through our outreach and through our soul winning. And so I I hope that's primed your pump a little bit to desire to see what God desires to do through the rest of the year. And I hope we'll be open to that because we know that whatever God desires to do, it's going to be good. You know, from time to time, I enjoy cooking. My wife doesn't enjoy it when I cook, uh, not necessarily the food, but the fact that uh, I make full use of every utensil in the kitchen when I cook. 
And, um, you know, I, I use all the spoons and all the pots, and the sink is stacked full. And my wife says, what did you make? And I say, scrambled eggs. And she says, you use all of that to make scrambled eggs? Well, I can make some mean scrambled eggs, but uh, usually when I, when I sit back to cook, sometimes it turns out well, and sometimes it don't. But I want you to know that whatever God cooks up for us in the new year is going to be good. We ought to desire to be a part of that. We should not be hesitant uh, with opening our heart to whatever God desires to do through us because when God creates something good, you're going to want to be a part of it. And it's better to be a part of it on the front end than on the back end because you could have been a part of seeing what God could have done through you instead of seeing it through the eyes of, of others. And I was thinking about that uh, last night, thinking about how to open up the message. And you think about the world we live in today, anything that is successful, uh, anything that is popular, uh, anything that is really profitable, sooner or later, somebody's going to seek to imitate it. Uh, they're going to seek to knock it off. I think that's the term. The pop culture term is knockoffs. And I was thinking about some popular knockoffs in our, our, our culture today. And my wife's favorite drink is, is Dr. Pepper. And uh, you know what Dr. Pepper, hers is Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm sorry, Diet Dr. Pepper. And uh, she enjoys drinking Diet Dr. Pepper. But sometimes you, you can't find one. But the good news is there's plenty of knockoffs that are out there. If you don't have a Diet Dr. Pepper, you can find you a Diet Dr. Thunder. And uh, there's, would you believe I looked it up. There's over 20 different doctors out there. They're knockoffs of the original. You know, Dr. Pepper, and Dr. Pepper is very popular, and so people want to get in on that because it's very profitable, and so they seek to knock it off. Same thing goes for Oreos. I, lo I love a good Oreo. There's nothing like a good Oreo. The milk's got to be cold, all right? It can't be lukewarm. It's got to be real cold. And I have a process for how I do my Oreos. I hold the edge of it. I stick it over in the cold milk with just a little bit of pressure. And I know it's ready when it opens up. All right, that's how you know it's ready to be eaten. You don't want it too crispy. You definitely don't want it too gooey. And so you just hold it in there. And as soon as you feel it open up, you know that it's ready for consumption. Uh, you're going to leave here today learning something. Whether it be biblical or not, you're going to learn something before you leave here today. But you have Oreos, but Oreos are popular. So they sought to knock them off. And we've got these twist and shout things. Now, they're good in a pinch. They're good in a pinch. We'll put it that way. And they're good if you either, you know, if you got to pay your tithe or buy Oreos, those are all right. Buy those and pay, pay your tithe, okay? But they're just not as good as the same thing. But they're a good thing, and people want to capitalize on that. They say, hey, I want to get on, on something good, and they seek to figure out how they might imitate it. I saw something I've never seen before as I was Googling some of this stuff last night. I think all of us would recognize Arm & Hammer baking soda. I think we've probably all used that before. Uh, you know, help get the stink out of your refrigerator, stink out of your shoes, things along that line. Did you know that you can buy Arm & Hatchet baking soda? I didn't think it was real. It really is. You see, that, that stuff's popular, and it works. They wanted to get in on it, so they came up with a cheap imitation, if you will. They're trying to get in on the action, you know. If you want, look, if you wanted a, a champion mascot, all right? Let me show what a champion mascot looks like. Uh, that's a champion mascot right there. And there's this team up in the Carolinas somewhere. They wanted to knock it off. They said, hey, we want a champion mascot, so they did their best, and came up with that. Change the picture. I've got to get those sports pictures off real quick or the spirit will be quenched in this play. By the way, when we don't win the title next year, I will be glad to take my lumps, okay? I'm, I'm fully prepared, but we're not going to win but every 10 years, so I'd like to enjoy it when we do win one. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. When there's something good, when there's something profitable, 
When there's something that's successful, people seek to imitate it if they can. And here's what they do. It's a term we use called reverse engineering. They will get the product, the finished product, and then they will put it under the microscope and take it apart and analyze and try to get it down to the base ingredients so that they can replicate it. Now, folks, I want you to understand, let's fast forward to our church today, and when I read the Word of God and I see God do something powerful, when I see God do something that is profitable or successful, I don't know about you, but I want to be in on it. I want to be in on the work of God at Central Baptist Church in 2020. I want to be on something that God does. So I go to the Word of God and I find a finished product. I find a place where God worked and God did something and God showed himself strong. And so we begin breaking it down so that we might be able to recreate that. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to consult the magic eight ball on what we should do at this church and in this new year. All that we have to do is find places in scripture where God worked and where God showed himself strong and we break it down and figure out how they came to the end product. So we look at Exodus chapter 25. We see where God is desiring of his people to build a tabernacle. God says, I want to work here, and there's a place that I want to come and meet with you, and you can meet with me, and you can hear from me. But if we look closely, we can see how all of this came together. If we look closely in verse number two, we'll see the key ingredients on how we can replicate a place where God's power is and God's presence is. Look down at verse two. The Bible says, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. Look at verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God gives them a list and God says, these are the things that I want you to bring and to contribute. You see, God says, I'm willing to work, but I'm going to work through what you're willing to give. And oftentimes, I mentioned to you the last two weeks, oftentimes our church reflect what we are not willing to give to the cause of Christ. Look, we're not talking financially. Remember, God doesn't need our money, but he works through our giving. God doesn't need our talents, but he's willing to work through our talents. God doesn't need our time, but he's willing to work through the time that we give him. Now, these people are going to see God work, but they had to first be willing to give. And so often that is the area that we lack most, is having a giving heart, desiring to see what God could do through what we are willing to give. Remember the little boy who had the five loaves of bread and two fishes, remember him? Did not have a whole lot to give. You wouldn't look at that and say, five loaves of bread and two fishes couldn't do much. But it was in the giving of the five loaves and the two fishes that God began to work. You remember in the Bible when the apostle Paul is laying there on the ground on the road to Damascus, and he looked up at the Lord. He says, Lord, what will thou have me do? And it was at that point Paul gave himself to the service of God, and boy, how God used the life of the apostle Paul because Paul was willing to give it to be used of God. Now, I wonder what God could do in this place in this new year through our church if we just had a giving heart. We were willing to give God what he desires to be used in his service that we could see him do what only he could do. But I believe verse number two has those ingredients. The end result is a sanctuary that he may dwell among us, a place that God would be and God would move, but the ingredients are in verse number two. So this morning, we're going to look at this thought of where giving begins, where giving begins. Let's look at verse two. We'll stay mainly in that for the rest of the message. The Bible says, here's God speaking to Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering 
Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. Verse 3 begins, and this is the offering which ye shall take of them. So God says, I want them to come, and I want them to give an offering. He says, I want them to give toward the work of what I desire to do. Now, folks, understand there's not going to be any engagement of this church in the will of God in 2020 without us being willing to give. By the way, when God presents us an opportunity to give to his work, it's just that. It's an opportunity. God was providing these people the opportunity to have a place where his presence and power were, but they had to be willing to give so that God could work through what they gave. But notice where the giving begins. Giving can take a lot of different forms. We automatically think tithes and offerings, but I want you to know that time is just as valuable. Seems like a lot of times we try to make up for the time that we don't give by giving a few extra dollars. And look, that's all good and fine, but sooner or later, we must give our time to the work of God. Sooner or later, we have to give our talents to the work of God. But notice in verse number two, I want you to see where giving begins. He says, God says, I want them to bring me an offering. In verse 3, he says, this is the offering you shall take. The first thing I want you to notice is that it begins with what God wants. If we are going to give to the work of God, we must understand that we must be willing to give to God what it is that God wants and what God requires. God spelled it out for him in verse number three. He says, this is the offering which ye shall take. He's spelling out for them that if you want to be engaged and involved in what I desire to do, this is what I desire that you give. Now, folks, if we don't get this on the first go here, if we don't get this from the, the moment go and the moment we press the start button, we're going to miss out. Because until we are willing to give that which God requires, understand we can't make up for it by giving what we desire. So understand God says, here's what I want from you. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify this. But getting engaged simply means this, giving God what he wants. Getting engaged is just giving God what he wants. Here it is, Stewardship Sunday, and if you're visiting with us today, man, you picked a good one. You're going to think, yeah, the only time I ever heard that preacher preach, he preached on money. Oh, I hate hearing that. But can I tell you this morning that in order to see God's work and God's will come to fruition of what God desires to build, it requires giving. But understand, we must be willing to give what God wants, not what we think that God needs. He said in verse 3, this is the offering. He's spelling it out. I was thinking to myself this morning, I was sitting on the couch watching the sun come up outside as I was preparing to preach this morning. And I was thinking, what would happen in this place? If those, listen, who God has led to be a part of Central Baptist Church decided that in 2020, I'm going to give God what he wants. No matter what it is, if he wants more of my time, if he wants more of my talents, I'll tell you, one of the scariest things for me would be to stand before you and have to sing a special. You guys that sing specials, you've got something that I don't have. I'd rather sit there and preach here than sing a special any day of the week. And I was sitting there this morning thinking, what is something that if God were to ask of me that I might be hesitant to give? The first thing that popped up was sing a special. I'm just sure hoping he don't ask. 
I'm sure nobody I can stay busy doing other things and he's not going to ask that of me. But can I tell you something? If I desire to be fully engaged in this work of God, I must be willing to give God what he wants. I believe this place would come unglued. I believe we'd see a work of God in this church that went outside the walls of this church. If we were just submissive and willing to come to God's house with a resolve in our heart, I'm going to give God what he wants today. I wonder what could happen here today if we spent some time at the prayer altar and say, God, I I don't know exactly what you want, but I've resolved to give it to you. I think we can see this in the life of Abraham. Oh, I would say Abraham was someone God used. I think Abraham was someone that God got some mileage out of his service. And we can see why when in the book of Genesis, God calls Abraham, he says, I want you to take your son your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him, up on, offer him up on Mount Moriah. God knew what Abraham would do, but Abraham had to find out what he was willing to do. And Abraham decided he was going to be fully engaged in the will of God for his life. And you could tell why. Because he held nothing back from God. I don't believe that God can't work. I don't believe that God doesn't desire to work in America today. I believe the problem is we're holding back what God desires to use. We're holding it back. We're holding back of our time. We're holding back of our talents. We're holding back of our will. We're holding back of our resources. And God says, I desire to work. By the way, God still can work. You know, I think we've got this mindset that God's up there kicking it in cruise control, just waiting for the trump of God to sound, when the truth is God eagerly desires to work in our world. He is still not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The problem is he doesn't have much to work with as far as a body. We're holding back from God. Now, if these people in Exodus 25 are going to be a part of what God desires to do, they must be willing to give what God requires of them. Now, folks, here's the good part. God will let you know what he wants. Isn't it amazing? How did they know what God wanted? Well, here's the neat thing. God told them. Isn't that neat? God tells us what he wants of us. Every year, my wife and I pray what to give to missions. Every year. We get alone and we pray, and she prays alone, and I pray alone. And here's what's neat. The Holy Spirit always burdens my heart for the same thing he burdens her heart for. Isn't that neat? It'd be weird if she came back with the wrong number. I think she's out of the will of God. Surely it's not me that got the wrong answer, but we always come up with the right answer. What happens? God lets us know. Look, you come to church, and you say, that preacher's just after money, and he just wants more of my time, and he just wants me to volunteer at the church, and all of these things. No, no, no. You've got it totally wrong. All I want you to do is what God asks of you. That's it. Come invitation time. I'm not going to stand here and beg folks to come down during the invitation. I'm just going to ask you to do what God wants for you. Because I'll tell you this, God can do more with what he desires of us than what we can. I love the story, the account, if you will, of in 1 Kings 18 of the contest on Mount Carmel. When there's Elijah, one man, facing the hundreds of prophets of Baal. And the hundreds of prophets of Baal get up there and they go through all of their rituals and all their routines, trying to get fire down from heaven, but it was just a dial tone. Their God didn't answer the phone. Elijah gets up there and he rebuilds the altar of God and puts the sacrifice, digs the trench, covers it with water, fills the trench with water, and begins to pray to God. What did Elijah do? Elijah did all that he could do. 
He repaired the altar. He prepared the sacrifice. But Elijah could not pray down fire. That's only something God could do. He prays to God. He says, I've done all of this at thy word. I just did what you told me to do. And as soon as Elijah did what God told him to do, God did what only God could do. Now, folks, I wonder what God could do at this place if we did what God requires of us and then trusted him to do what only he could do. I fear that we've, we've never had a whole generation of people that have never seen God work. Now, you're saved, and that's great. If you die, you're going to heaven. Your name's written down. That's great. But they've never seen a moving of God. They've seen God move through a church where people start getting right with God and people start getting right with each other. and People get on fire for souls. I mean, we near about have an entire generation who've never seen God work. Why? It's not because God doesn't want to. Oh, God desires to. God desires to see our whole city come to know him. But here's the problem. The body is not giving God what he wants. He spelled it out in verse 3. This is the offering which you shall take of them. God says, I'll show you exactly what I want. The problem is simply this. We desire the right outcome. Listen, we desire the right outcome. We want God to work. Look, I think even the most backslidden Christian in here this morning desires to see God work. Amen? Amen if you're one of the backslidden Christians. Amen. We all desire to see God where we all desire that God's presence would be in this place and we'd hear from God when we come to this place. Oh, we desire that. But here's the problem. The outcome of our worship is going to be reflective upon the object of our worship. Now think about that. We want the outcome, but we have the wrong object. The object should be God's will and God's way and God's wants. That means, hey, God, whatever you want, you get it. God says, you give me what I want, and I'll do what only I could do. And we're expecting the outcome of God's worship without making God the object of our worship. It's amazing to me, and it breaks my heart. I'm not picking on you if you've said this before. How many people say, I don't go to that church anymore because I don't like the people? How many times I don't go to that church because I don't like the music? I don't go, or I go to this church because I like the music better. You know, there was a place in time when the worship of God meant that we went because of God. He was the object of our worship. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, sooner or later, if it hasn't happened already, and I'm probably willing to wager that it has happened already, I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to preach a message that you thought was an utter dud. You're like, I'm going to find a better preacher. I'm going to find a better church. Look, look, this preacher should not be the object of why you're here. It should be God. I come to this place to meet with God and to hear from God. And in spite of the people that I don't like on the left or the right of me, in spite of the people that don't sing well, in spite of the sermons that don't go well, I come here to worship God. Why? I want God to be the object of my worship. That, re- that way the outcome is of God. Why don't we just decide that God is going to be the object of our worship? That we're coming here, we're going to give God exactly what he wants so that we can receive what only God could give. That's what Matthew 6, is talking about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. What does it say? Put God where he belongs. Let God be the object of our worship. Give God what he wants, and you'll have the outcome that you desire. I read a hilarious story the other day about a man who had a cow, and that cow gave birth to two calves. One was a brown color, and one was a white color. The man was so excited about what God had blessed him with, he told his wife, we're going to give one of those calves to God. 
What a great idea. And uh, not long, the winter came, and he went out to the barn to feed the calves, and he came back in with his head down and told his wife, he says, one of the cows has died. She says, which one died? He says, the one we were going to give God. She says, well, I thought we were going to decide which one we're going to give to God when it came time to sell them. He says, nope, I'm pretty sure God's calf died. Now, isn't that a sad truth today? So often it's God's calf that dies. We get our way, what we desire. Why? Because oftentimes what we want is the object of our worship. And we wonder why we don't get the outcome that could be only from God. It's because God was not the object of our worship. Human nature says that in order to have things, now look, be honest, let's just be honest this morning. Human nature says in order to have something, you must hold on to it, correct? That's human nature. That is flesh nature. But when you look at God, by the way, aren't you glad God's not human? We'd all be dead. I mean, he just zapped us a long time ago. God doesn't think according to human nature. So God's nature and human nature are totally opposite. God says, in order that you might have, you must be willing to give, i.e. the five loaves and the two fishes. He gave what he had in order to get what only God could give. We think about the lady who had the meal barrel. Remember her? She had just a little bit of meal left. She says, we're going to cook this meal together, and my son and I are going to die. Elijah says, why don't you just give it to God? She gave it to God. The Bible says that her meal barrel didn't waste for as long as the famine was going on. What happened? She gave an order that she might get. Goes against human nature, doesn't it? I believe if God's going to work in this place, we're going to have to be willing to just simply give him what he wants. And this morning, can I tell you? God's going to let you know. God's going to let you know what he requires of you in the new. He might be, look, he might ask you to sing a special. Amen. He might ask you to come up and help Miss Autumn scrub the floors or help you come up and help Brother Danny scrub the toilets. He may ask you to go out and go soul winning with somebody here. God may ask of you something that's beyond what you think is capable, but I assure you, if you give God what he wants, God will hold up his end of the bargain every time. The problem is this morning, we're not willing to give God what he wants. So look at verse 3. This is the offering. God says, I want you to just give me these things. This is what I require of you, and you give these things, and I'll do my part. But let's go back a little bit further into verse 2. The Bible says, speaking of the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it. And look at the next word, willingly. He said, not only did God tell them what he wanted, he says, this is who I want to give my offering. Every man that giveth it willingly. God says, I want the offering to be given by those who do it with a willingness. I don't want it to be out of work or obligation. I want it to be willingly. So number two this morning, where our giving begins, begins with a work of the willing. It's a work of the willing. God says, I want every man to give, but let them give willingly. The word willing means eager and prepared to do. Eager and prepared to do. You know, I love being around people that are eager about serving God. I'm being honest with you. You folks that aren't eager about serving God, that may be why I haven't invited you over for dinner just yet. I'm, I'm just joking, okay? I told you I'd give you a reason to be mad. I just did. Now you don't have to come back tonight. Nobody has to come back tonight. You can all stay home tonight, amen? Some of you will get that here in just a few minutes. I like being around people that are eager to serve God. They desire to serve God. 
They want to see what God could do. Look, I would rather be around an enthusiastic person who desires to serve God than the most talented person who does not desire to serve God any day of the week. Man, it's contagious. I mean, I like being around people that want to go soul winning too. I like being around people who love being at church. I love being around people who desire to see God work in a world that doesn't believe he can work anymore. That's the type of people I like being around. People that are what? Well, verse 2 says people that are willing. You know, oftentimes in our world, we, we look at things that we think are important and think God needs those things to work with. God needs the talented. God needs the wealthy. God needs the worthy. And yet, you read your Bible, you'll find out that that's not the people that God used. Matter of fact, I believe it says that he chose the foolish things to confound the wise. You see, when God uses a nobody to accomplish something, the only person who gets glory is God. Let's go back to David. We see David uh, in 1 Samuel 17. David comes to the battlefield, and there's the well-trained army of Israel. They've got their armor and their swords and their horses, and they're all prepared. They're all trained and ready to go, but there's a problem. They're not willing. They look down at the task, and the task is very tall. It's Goliath, nine and a half feet tall, and they're thinking, I'm not up to the challenge. But lo and behold, God was able to kill that giant through the efforts of someone who was talented. No. Someone who was trained. No. Someone who was worthy. No. It was just someone who was willing. Folks, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like David. You feel like the run of the bunch? You ever feel that way? You feel like the runt? You feel like, man, I'm just the gopher and came my brothers the cheese and the bread and all these things. And yet God can use the runt if the runt's willing. Amen. You may not be the most talented. You may not be the most gifted. You may not be the most wealthy. But if you'll let God use you through your willingness, you might just kill a giant. Luke chapter 2 or chapter 21, we read about the widow. She comes up and she has two mites. I mean, basically worthless. I don't even think the tax man would want, well, maybe he would. He might would want the two mites. But she comes up and she takes her two mites and she drops it in the offering plate. And Jesus points her out and says she's done more than they all. How did this woman who did not have a lot of worth or a lot of wealth, how did she do more? It's because of the heart that she gave it with. She was willing Folks, I think God could shake, I know God could shake this place if our hearts would just become willing to give God what he wants. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, just hold your place in Exodus. We'll come back there in a minute. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, in case you're wondering. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, I want you to see a few things about a church that was willing Second Corinthians chapter number 8, the Bible says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Look down to verse number 11. The Bible says, Now there perform the doing of it, that is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be 
There be first a willing mind. Oftentimes, can I tell you what God desires to do gets on a head-on collision of what we're willing to do, and it's like an impasse. God's wishes meets our will, and oftentimes it's our lack of willingness that veto what God wishes to do. We're not will- do you know that's why people are in hell this morning? They're not in hell because God sent them there. And look, if you die without Christ and you go to hell, God's not going to send you there. You'll go to hell all because you were not willing to accept what he offered. God's wishes were that not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That was God's will. That's what God's desire. But the problem is we were not willing. We were not willing to accept what God offered to us. Now, folks, God offers much, but we can veto that through our unwillingness. I wonder this morning what God desires and what God requires. The good thing is I can't see in your heart and I don't know. And I don't want to know. Facebook tells me more than I want to know about our church already. You, know, you don't have to post everything. Amen. You know, I, I don't even know why I got on there in the first place. You know, I, I like to live in ignorance. You know, somebody, did you see? No, 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 no. I don't, I, I don't want to see it. Folks, our hearts have got to be willing We've got to be eager and prepared. Why? Because God's willing. God was willing to have a place that he would come down and he would dwell there in the holy of holies. That's what he was desiring to do. And God was willing to meet with them and to speak with them and that they could hear from him. And all they had to do was be willing to give him what he wanted. And they could have God's presence. Folks, I wonder what God wants to do in this place today, but our willingness is holding God back from what he desires to do. There's a little girl once, her mom gave her a quarter. Her mom gave her $5. Mom was going to test her a little bit. The preacher had been preaching on giving, and they were preparing a large offering for missions. And she asked the little girl, she says, look, I'm going to give you this, and you can just give what you want. And the little girl says, okay. The offering plate was passed. The little girl pulls out the quarter, and she pulls out the $5 bill. And the mom was watching the daughter, and she's trying to figure out which one to give. Finally, the little girl takes a $5 bill and she stuffs it back in her pocket and throws the quarter in the plate and the mom's heart began to sink that her daughter did not give the five. She just gave the quarter. And after the service, she says, well, did you give your offering? She says, I did. I, I gave the quarter. Disappointed, the mom says, why did you give just the quarter? Why didn't you give the five? She says, well, the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver. And she said, I had more cheerful giving the quarter than I was of giving the $5. Sadly, that's the way it goes, isn't it? We get more cheer and more joy out of holding on than letting go. The sad thing is, it's just short-lived. I told somebody the other day, you ever have a $20 bill? Some of you have, amen? Husbands, your wife lets you have a $20 bill every once in a while. You go to the store, as soon as you break it, it's gone, isn't it? If you ever have a $100 bill, I know that's rare, but if you ever have a $100 bill, as soon as you break it, you get home. My daughter got one for her birthday years ago. We're walking through the mall, and she stopped by the candy store, and we stopped by. They have a little ride-on animal. She's riding around that on the mall, and we get home, and she's counting her money. I think I lost some of my money. She starts pulling out the receipts. Man, she looked up and realized she had spent it. It was gone. For a moment, she had joy when she had that $100 bill, and she had joy eating all those gummies and had joy on riding on all of those animals. But when she got home, the joy was over. It was gone. So often, we think we have joy by holding on to what God asks of us when truly the only true joy we have is when we give it to God because that joy goes on and on and on when we have a place and we get to hear from God and we get to meet with God. 
So what's the difference of someone that's willing and someone that's not? I'll hurry. But here's the simple of this. Someone that is willing sees it as an opportunity, and someone who is not willing sees giving as an obstacle. That's the difference. We come, and it's stewardship banquet. To be honest with you, I told Brother Brent a while ago, I didn't know what our crowd was going to be like today. I said, traditionally, is this a low number? I figured today was going to be a low number. Stewardship banquet, you know we're going to be talking about giving. What are we giving to? We're giving to what God desires to do. And look, there's two types of people in this room this morning who look at giving and being engaged in giving as an obstacle and those who see it as an opportunity. And if we desire God to work in this place, we must see being engaged in giving to the work of God as an opportunity to see God work. That's the difference. See, in Nehemiah, the Bible says the people had a mind to work. What does that mean? It means they were willing. And folks, at the very least, we ought to be willing to give what God requires of us. Look, if it's not a dollar, then don't give a dollar. If it's your time, give your time. If it's your talent, give your talent. Look, if it's yourself, give of yourself. But whatever God requires, God knows what he needs, and we should be willing to give. Why? Because God's willing. God desires to work in this place. Look, God's not done. God sits up with all the resources of heaven that he's ever had. He desires to bestow them upon those who invest in the work of God through the giving of what he requires. And if we just give God what he wants, we'll see God do what only God could do. David gave him a rock. Oh, and how he wrought a victory with just a rock. How many times do we read in the book of Exodus about Moses using that stick that he had? And he threw the stick down, it became a snake, and he held that stick out, and the Red Sea parted. You know what? What really the stick? It was the God working through it. That's how God works. Look, you reach in your pocket this morning, maybe you don't even have a you don't even have a dollar. All you have is a rock. Give God the rock. David says he did something with his. So number two, it's a work of the willing. But the last thing, Exodus 25, I'll give you this. And this is the most important. So we see in verse 3, we give God what he wants. We see in verse 2, we give willingly. But notice the last part. The Bible says, speaking of the children of Israel, they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. Now watch closely. He's fixing to show you how to give. So he shows us what he wants. He shows us who he wants. He wants the willing. But then he shows us how to give it. He says, giveth it willingly with his heart. Number three, where giving begins, it begins in the heart. That's where giving begins. It starts in the heart. Now watch, what they built, let's reverse engineer the tabernacle, the sanctuary. What they built was a result of what they were willing to give. What they were willing to give was a result of what they were willing to do. And what they were willing to do was a reflection of their heart. You see, giving begins in the heart. Do you know when I'm not willing to give God what God requires, it doesn't mean I have a financial problem. It means I have a heart problem. When God calls and God burdens and God makes it known, this is what I require of you, and I'm not willing to give God what he requires, it means I have a heart problem. Prime example is Cain. God lovingly told Cain, I want a sacrifice of a lamb. But Cain says, I don't want to give a lamb. I want to give vegetables. So Cain goes and gives God his vegetables. And God lovingly and mercifully and long-suffering, God says, Cain, you got it wrong. 
I want you to give a lamb. And he tells Cain, get it right and all will be well. Just get it right. But Cain wasn't willing. Before long, Cain would walk away with the punishment being more than he can bear. Can I tell you what Cain's problem was? It wasn't a lamb problem. It wasn't a vegetable problem. Cain had a heart problem. That's why he was not willing to give. You know, I, I, all the time, every week get to meet with people and try to meet with some of our older folks who can't make it to church. And boy, I'll sit there and I'll talk with them and visit with them. Some in the hospital. Miss Gardner's in the hospital right now. Miss Young's in the hospital right now. And you get to visit with folks and know how they desire to go and how they desire to do. And what's sad is when you run into people whose body is in good shape, but their heart is not. I want you to think about how your heart affects your body. You can have good arms and good legs. You can have good ears and good eyes. But if your heart is weak, your body's weak. I look at our churches today all over this country, and boy, God, man, he's got talented people. He's got wealthy people. He's got people with good health. But here's our problem. The church in America today has a heart problem. We're holding back from God what God could use. And the body's not functioning the way that it should because the body simply has a heart problem. You say, well, I am never going to come back to this church again because you told me because I don't give. I have a heart problem. You can't judge me. I hear that a lot. I can't judge your heart. But you know what Matthew 6 says? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, you say, well, you can't judge my heart and you don't know what's going on in my heart. No, but I can look at your treasure. You see, because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. You see, the reason we're not willing to give to God is there's something wrong in our heart and our hearts treasure the wrong things. Our hearts treasure things that either God does not desire us have or our hearts treasure things that God desires to give us, but we went and got it on our own. Now, folks, if our church, now look, if you're visiting with us today, look, you, you get off scot-free, all right? But for this body of Christ that is here, the people that says Central Baptist Church is where God's called me, you're part of the body of Christ here. But the body will only function as good as the heart is. If our heart is not right, if we hold stuff back from God and we're unwilling to give God what he requires of us, how can we expect the body to function and how can we expect God to bless? He's not. He says, I want someone with a willing heart. Matthew 12, 34. Boy, this is a verse that got branded on my heart as a teenager. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You got a kid that's got a foul mouth. They don't have a mouth problem. They have a heart problem. You got trouble sticking things in your pockets in Walmart and walking out without paying for them. You don't have a hand problem. You have a heart problem. You say, man, these hands, I wish these hands would just quit stealing stuff. You might get a doctor to sign off on that. It is 2020. But the truth is you have a heart problem, and I have a heart problem. Folks, the only way this body is going to function, the way God's called us to function, the only way we're going to see what God desires to do is for us to make sure our giving begins in our heart. God desires to work in this place, but I'll assure you of this. It will require of us to be willing to give. We must be willing to give. 
If we're willing to give of ourselves and our time and our talents and our resources the work of God, then we'll see God do what only God could do. But that's how God works. He spelled it out for them. This is how I will work, and this is how I will be there in your presence. By the way, that's the same way we got saved. Watch. What did God do the first time that you realized you were lost? He let you know, didn't he? He lets you know, boy, he knocks on your heart's door and says, if you died right now, you know you're not going to heaven. He lets you know, but then what did you have to do? You had to be willing. You had to be willing. And then where did it happen? Salvation happens in here. It overflows on the outside, or it should. But it happens in here. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. That's where it all begins. If you're here today, look, you can be saved just like I was. God will let you know, but you've got to be willing. And then it begins in our heart. So what's the message this morning? Well, here it is, simply this. Why don't we just give God what he wants? God does not tell me before service, I'm going to burden Brother Heath about this, and I'm going to burden Miley about this. No, he doesn't tell me that. Thank the Lord. But you know what God wants. You know how God has spoken. Well, it may be your life. God may be calling you to be a missionary. God may be calling you to preach. God may be calling you to do something that you didn't plan on doing when you got here, but God's made it clear. So here's the answer. Why don't you give God what he wants? Matthew 22, give you this and we're done. They were arguing about taxes and money, and Matthew 22, they took up a coin, and he, Jesus asked them whose superscription or whose image was on that coin, and they said, it's Caesar's. He said, well, render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. But it goes on to say, unto God, the things that are God's. Just give God what belongs to him. Folks, God's got a great will for our church in 2020. The burden on my heart is just swelling. I'm excited about it. But God works through us. But we must have a heart that's willing to give God what he wants. Let's stand on our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.